Ron and Anian. I don't see what the fascination is with running oil longer than it needs to be because I'm one of those guys. Johnny got a love on loving his life. It wasn't his girlfriend, it isn't his wife. In not Jesus, he don't know if it's sin. Only thing that Johnny's interested in is junk cars. Can't get them all from mine. Junk cars. Who with them all the time? Up on blocks for the The Car Doctor. Around here, I can literally tell somebody your car needs brakes and tires, and they will replace the car. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Come on in. Sit down. Ronnie and Andy in the car, doctor. Waiting for you and your phone call at 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Let's talk about your car problem. If you had a bad week with your automobile, if your mechanic gave you a busy signal, now's the time to get in at 855-560-9900. The car doctor is in, and he's looking for a conversation. This radio show goes coast-to-coast in 80-some-odd markets. It's also out on the web. We're streaming live via cardoctorshow.com. You'll find podcasting information at cardoctorshow.com and also links on that website that will take you to TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, Google Play, and um, all the points in between where you want to be able to take the Car Doctor with you as a podcast because we're trying to make it easy for you to just get some information. That's what this radio show is about. If If you've been here a while, thanks for coming back. If you're new to this radio show, this radio show is really designed to help you fix your car. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's we're all going to learn something in the next two hours, and we really just want to talk to you about, hey, here's your car, here's the problem, here's a possible solution based on, well, let's see, now it's uh, 43 years. I think I'm fixing cars too long. Um, I, want a, I want the retirement package. It's uh, Maybe it's 44 years now. I forget, 1978. Somebody do the math. I think we're coming up on, uh, whew, yeah, Tony's counting. I don't know if Tony can count that high. Um, how many years is it, Tom? Yeah, he's thinking. Here it comes. Just you said on on 1976. Well, 1978, I started fixing cars as a business. 78. Yeah, I was working on them before then. I was working on cars since I was 14. So well, that goes, well, I was born 1970, so I'm 46. Okay. And you said 78. Yeah. I think it's 40, 45, 44, 32, 1, 39. Wow. He did that without taking his shoes off. Well, I'm impressed. So I've been fixing them 43 because I count I count from the time when I was 14 because that's when I really started working on cars as the kid in the gas station. And uh, that's very good. Yeah, I tell you, this happened. So by the way, you want to, now that I got you, here, bring the bring the mic back. Yes. Um, so far, I'm doing pretty good, aren't I? Yes, you are by um, going against the grain against my beloved New York Giants. You, you know, every time I say something bad about the Giants, they win. They win. So who are they going to lose to tomorrow? Um, they they played um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's in turn. So after Pittsburgh gets done whooping on them, uh huh. All right. And then next week is uh, next Sunday is Dallas. Dallas. So that's probably like you know holy sacrilege to you guys. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know it's just a game. You know that, don't you? No, no, it's not. You know if the Giants lose, you will continue to watch them. True. If I don't fix somebody's car right, they're either not listening to this radio show anymore, no, they're or they're not. not coming back to the shop. No. So my job is harder. True. How come I'm not making Eli Manning money? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Oh, 
I at least want, I at least want red jelly beans in my dressing room. Anyway, um, well, you know, mom said to me before I started the show today, she said, so what are you going to talk about today? I said, I don't know. I said, there's so many things rolling around in my head. I really don't prep for it. I think I want to talk about this. Last week, we talked about oil. By the way, is the oil guy coming on this week? Tom's shaking his head. No, no interview with the oil guy. There was a there was a guy on Fox News last week or the week before that was touting the 3,000-mile oil change interval. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, I never heard back from him after last week, but uh, what he said was um, that places like Jiffy Lube and other places tell you you should be changing your uh, your oil every three to 5,000 miles are ripping you off because you don't have to do that. The manufacturers say 7,500 to 10,000 miles, and that's when you should be doing it. Well, you know, and, and case in point, I'm going to get the pictures up after the show today. So, you know, a 2007 Nissan Xterra. And this is a common thing, and they all tend to do this. If you own a Nissan, you're going to go through a timing chain in the guides. But we stayed late at the shop last night and did one um, for someone, and it, it was just amazing to me. It's the stupidest system I ever saw in my life, that the timing chain drags over this nylon guide and just wears it out. And as the tech I was working with was telling me, he's a Nissan tech, he's saying, you know, part of this problem comes about, we see, because they extended the oil drain intervals. And the longer the oil drain intervals go, the more it beats up on the internals in the engine. I mean, the guides are bad. It's a bad design, but, you know, the extended oil drain intervals just don't help it. And the issue is, had we let it go on much longer, the, the engine was making it sound like a supercharger that, that sooner or later the chain was going to break. When a chain or a guide breaks on a Nissan, they're bendable motors. They all bend. So at that point, your your Nissan is now nothing more than a four-wheeled flower pot and it's it's junk so you know all these guys out here these experts that are saying don't change your oil every three to five you know every three to five thousand make it seven to ten thousand miles i still want the hard data i've yet to have anybody show me in my face a a an oil filter line from any manufacturer doesn't matter that has longer than a six to seven thousand mile oil drain interval some manufacturers Yes, Wix does have certain filters that do meet extended range oil drain intervals, but it's not full coverage. It's not every vehicle. And they're probably the one of the best on the tip of the sword as far as they're doing it. They're trying to create that, but the cost factor and how applicable would it be? So, you know, I say to these guys that don't want to do oil drain intervals or do do shorter oil drain intervals, they want to do the seven to 10,000, just plan on buying a car. I I, I just don't get it. Um, that's like, I, I don't understand this and I'm not going to beat this guy up, but I hope I don't beat this guy up. This comes to me from Wally, Mason city, Iowa. Uh, says Tom, he was writing back to Tom. Tom had asked him to come on the air. Unfortunately, I'm not around on Saturday. I run the podcast early in the week. I'm sure Ron will advise disposal of the oil, but I've used it for years in mower motors and my 86 El Camino. So I didn't know what was in the bottom of the container until I used the last of it. I also have another full container, which I will store upside down and then shake it and stir before use. My take is. If there would be engine trouble, I would know by now. I have no indication of any harm at this time. I have a 78 Club Cub Cadet lawn tractor used for mowing and snow blowing. The Kohler engine has never been disassembled. No oil filter. Also used in a 2007 Honda motorcycle with no known ill effects. Wally, Mason City, Iowa. You know, Wally, I get it. I, I get you're trying to save money. But first of all, you're putting it in an 86 L Camino. All right? Take that used motor oil that you're running in your lawnmower. Um, I guess that's what he's saying here, which using my mower motors, disposal of the oil, but I've used it for years. I'm not sure what that means. But take that same situation and apply it to a new vehicle. A new vehicle 
a modern vehicle, something built in the last five years, has such extremely tight tolerances and such extremely tight demands in terms of what it's doing, the, the, the ability for valve actuation and the production tolerances and everything else that goes into making a modern engine, you can't cheat on oil. You know, when Pennzoil comes up with oil to such a specific standard as they do, there's a reason for that, all right? Uh, you know, the other question I've got is 86 El Camino. I wonder how many miles he's actually putting on that. I wonder if that's his daily driver. Maybe it is. I, I don't know. But, you know, if it is, why would you take the chance to save oil? And maybe I'm misunderstanding the email, but why would you take a chance saving oil? Just, and this is the thing I don't get. This country spends more time fascinated with how much can they cheat an oil change. You should have paid more attention to the presidential election, for crying out loud. You should pay more attention to what's going on in your local city politics. You're fascinated by, can I get an extra 1,000 miles out of my oil change and save myself $10 so I can go down to Starbucks and buy an overpriced cup of coffee? Like, I don't get it. It's, it's just, just put the oil in the car, change the oil, and drive the car. It's not that hard. Anyway, that's what I was going to talk about this morning. Do you think I should talk about that? Show of hands. Okay, everybody says yes. So there you go. There's your opening monologue. I am Ron Anany and the Car Doctor at 855-560-9900. We're going to pull over and take a pause. And when we come back, we're going to kick the garage doors wide open. Let's see who's left listening. I'll be back right after this. Ron Ananian. Welcome back. Ron Ananian, the car doctor here. By the way, you know, just last of my rant, I was reading the Wall Street Journal um, yesterday, and an interesting article talked about how the CEO of Starbucks is stepping down, and he's going to spin off a new coffee drinking company to produce coffee that people will purchase, single cups, for a retail price of between 8 and $12. And you guys want to use cheap oil. And I just don't get it. Change the oil. That's it. I I just, you know, it's like, I feel like Bob Grant. Remember Bob Grant, the great radio talk show host? How people would start to talk about the same thing over and over and over and just not give it up. And then he'd start with, get off my phone. Get off the subject. Change the oil. Okay. Now I'm, wait a minute. Okay. I'm at peace. Let's go over to Doug at Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, and talk to him. Doug, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thanks so much for taking my call, Ron. Long-time listener. Love the show. You teach me something every week. Thank you, sir. I started working on cars about the same time, 69. Then I started fixing airplanes for a while. Uh, then we owned gas stations and then a tire store, and now I'm selling beer and wine. It's a lot more relaxing. Well, I could, I could, see, like, I could see the beer and wine part after fixing cars for a career. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm in your world. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you 100% in the oil thing. Uh, never understood it. 3,500 miles, never had an oil-related failure, right. period. Yeah, just done. Um, I need your direction. Got a good friend, 2013 Subaru Outback. Four-cylinder, six-speed stick shift, 84K, always serviced at the dealer, um, just like clockwork. Month ago, 
all of a sudden, instead of starting pretty much instantly, it's a hard start. It cranks well, but cranks for 10, 15 seconds. Then there's a rumbling, and it fires up. Perfect for the rest of the day. The caveat has to be under 40 degrees and sitting for eight hours before it'll do it again, and then not every time. Um, took it to the dealer. Uh, the dealer, uh, in the local dealer here, uh, Bath Subaru, uh, they ran an emissions program upgrade. No change. Uh, took it back, had it for two days. Um, they heard the, the problem twice, said, we can't figure out what the problem is. Here's the bill. Thanks for coming by. Gee, thanks for playing. How special. Yeah. Uh, how That's great is that? my feeling. There's a- this is a friend Subaru, and I'm just trying to get, you know, look in the right direction. Any ideas? Yeah, that, listen, There's there. what they probably did, they probably did an ECM reflash. There's a reprogramming for extended engine crank. And if you can go back and talk to them, make sure the bulletin they should have applied was, or one of the bulletins, because I'm sure by now there's more than one, was 11-131-13. And, and that talks about ECM reprogramming for extended engine crank. And and the problem is with what they're finding on the Subarus as they age, and I'm not sure what aging has to do with it, quite honestly, but as they age, when the engine is shut off, the cam sensor is is like in an odd position, and it confuses the logic of the PCM and prevents the car from starting right away. So and this would be temperature-related? Uh, not It's not necessarily temperature-related. and okay. but But, you know, if we were going to have this conversation, where would I go? The, yep. the the first thing I do on everything, as a matter of fact, coming up second hour, we're going to talk about the F-150 that for a year and a half nobody could fix. And the fix was simple, and part of the fix was also a, a computer reflash. And it's just, you know, updated windows in your laptop, man. It's just it's just that simple. You just got to have, like, change the oil, just update the software, be done with it. Um, yep. You want to make sure everything's current. So that would be my first thought. Second, just, you know, see to the school seat of the pants, old school mechanics. I plug a scan tool in before I started it and looked at coolant and intake air temp sensors. If, if the car's been sitting more than eight hours, they should be within 10 degrees of each other. Are they? And th- that's, that's, that's my first thought. Uh, second thought. All right. You know, is that an yep. issue? Third, Subarus have, and it doesn't necessarily hit your problem on the head, but it may be the beginning of it. They have a problem with the purge control solenoid for EVAP leaking. And I, I, I've, I've had the experience where it will do it hot or cold, mostly cold, because the temperature affects whether it seals or not. And it can create a rich running condition or a flooded engine almost. And that that extended crank time seems to allow it to clear out, and that could be the cause of it. And you will not see a fault code until it actually becomes so bad, uh, you know, that it actually sets a a, a 171 and um, maybe a 457 EVAP issue along with some brake lights and skid lights and all these other things on. Um, They were saying they had no codes. Right. And it it may not be at that point yet. Remember, not having codes just means now we have to think. All right. Oh, I, hate, I hate that. Yeah, you know, thinking's a hard thing. It's like left foot, right foot, breathe. And Understood. It, it becomes an issue. One of the things I always do in a diagnosis, and you could do it here, or the dealership could do it here. So, you know, if they can't find any codes, can we go in and look at mode six? You were in the business. Remember mode six? 
Oh, yeah. So let's go look at Mode 6 data. Is there anything in Mode 6 that says something's about to set a fault code but hasn't yet? Just It just hasn't yep. occurred. It hasn't happened long enough or hard enough or bad enough yet that it's an issue. And that's that's Good start. that's probably how I would attack it. I would be thinking fuel, not so much spark. I mean, yeah, you know, you want to throw a spark tester on it when it goes into the no start. And if you can replicate the no start and it's got good solid spark, fine, take it off the list. Let's just test it. It's a simple enough thing to do. But you being know, being sporadic, it makes it fun. Right, being intermittent. Intermittent's a great word. You know, that's like. And when I figure it out, I'll tell everybody. But I, um, you know, I've had this problem with the Ranger. Uh, about nine years, and it finally got bad enough where I had to fix it because I can't put gas in it anymore. Every time I come up to the pumps, I have to, like, you know, wiggle the nozzle, turn the pump upside down, stand on my head, rub my belly. So finally I said, all right, you know what? It's time to fix this thing. I just don't. I just haven't had the time, and it's not an embarrassment. It just it is what it is. So it turns out the charcoal canister had an issue, found a canister, which for a 20-year-old Ranger wasn't exactly easy, but I did and put a canister in it. And I haven't even been able to take it to the gas station yet because I haven't driven it long enough to run it down on gas because we're so busy doing other things. But ever since I put the canister in it, I've now got to check engine light for EVAP flow. <laughs> so Perfect. I disturbed something, and I haven't quite figured it out yet. I just started that this week. And um, my point is that intermittence will just, you know what? It's what separates the men's from the, men's from the boys' Uh, on, a re- on a related note, do you have a scanner you could recommend for a part-time mechanic? I, I, think, I know a couple of weeks ago you were you were doing some tests, but I never heard the follow-up, and that I, could have been me. Right now, right now, Doug, my my scan tool of choice is the X four thirty one Pro from Launch. You're like you're like fifteen sixteen hundred bucks on the street from the Mac guy. I know it's a lot of money, but the days of being a part-time mechanic are gone. The DIYer is definitely an endangered species. And when you look at the bang for the buck that the launch will give you, it's it's clearly worth it because it, it doesn't just give you data and code scanning. It's giving you a lot of OE information and uh, definitely worth a look at. So you'll find more on their website. I believe it's launchtechusa.com. Doug, I appreciate the call. Let me know what fixes the Subaru. I'm running Annie and the Car Doctor, and we're coming back right after this. cartoon from the 60s holy smokes so i don't even want to know where you picked that one up so you know the closer we're getting to christmas the sillier you guys are getting so ron and the car doctor here 855-560-9900 let's go over and talk to don in south williamsport with some questions about an infinity g37 yes sir don how can i help hey ron what do you mind has the g37 2009 and he's been driving it for the last few years 
with this P0524 code that comes on. Right, low oil pressure. Yeah, and when it comes on, it sends the car into limp mode. Right. How many miles are on this? So, 100,000. Okay. When he, when, he, when, he, um, when he runs it, does it make like a high-pitched whine? Does it sound like it's got a supercharger under the hood? No. Okay. He's not experiencing anything like that. So he took it to the dealership. Dealership said for $3,000 they would pull the motor out and change the gasket. Um, something about some gasket back there. He changed the, the sensor the oil pressure sensor, and that didn't do anything. Right. It was 40 bucks for that. So he he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't think that they're telling him the truth about it, so I thought I would just give you a call to see okay. what your opinion is. The reason this is happening, let me let me explain this, Don. So what they're doing is, and this is similar, this, this is like the engine I worked on last night. This is a dual overhead cam uh, Nissan motor. Um, you know, it's got a chain set up with nylon guides. They've got hydraulic tensioners. And they've also got a passageway plate or an oil passage plate that takes oil from this side of the motor to that mo- side of the motor under pressure. This particular engine has, a, has them in the back instead of the front. The reason they have to pull the motor is they've got to get to the chain set up in the rear of the engine because it's a, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's really a dumb design. I, I, I looked at the design last night, and I'm saying to myself, this thing's just a nightmare to work on. I can't imagine if it was backwards, and sure enough. What they're describing or what you're describing, what's typical with this when they set a 524, is there is a plate over an oil passage, a pressure passage, and that gasket that's there ruptures, okay? And the reason it's coming up with low oil pressure is because it's pumping oil through there under pressure, and it's not seeing it come out the other side at the reported spec. So that's why it puts the engine into limp-in mode to prevent the engine from being ruined from the person driving it at high-speed operation. Chances are, everything being equal, chances are the dealership's right. They just haven't taken the time to explain it to them. And the, the other thing that I would hope they're going to do or take a look at while it's apart is look at the chains and the guides because if it's not making noise now, it will at some point. Typically, 100 is where they start to make noise, and by 140, 150, they're screaming. And the danger there is once the chains fall off or the tensioners fail, then the engines, they're benders. All Nissan engines are, are valve benders, and then that's just a pile of scrap. So, you know, yeah, it, it's, it, it sounds like the dealer's on the right path. They're just not taking the time to explain it properly. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, so there's no other, like they were talking about, or, he looked up some stuff like corrosion on wires. Something could be tripping this. So you think the dealership's dead on on that? Well, I think the dealership's probably closer than corrosion on wires. What I would be doing if I had any doubts is screw a mechanical oil pressure gauge into the into the port, take the sender out, and put a mechanical gauge in there. Drive the car. If the car legitimately yeah. has low oil pressure, guess what? Corroded wires notwithstanding, right. uh, you know, um, it's you're done. Now. Yeah. You know, certain cars, certain Nissans, certain mileage, certain years, some of this was under warranty. Some of it was under a quiet recall. I don't think it's going to be applicable to him. It's a 2009. It's probably too old. But, you know, the other argument could be, has the dealer been doing the maintenance on this car? Did he buy it used or 
what's that story? Yes. No, he bought it new, and the dealership spend on the maintenance on it. And for some reason, the uh, the battery actually went dead, and they gave him a brand new battery. Right. And trying to get him to go for the rest of the three thousand dollar deal, well, and he's like, and, "I need to talk to somebody first. You know, isn't isn't the argument here then? So if he's been following manuf, and you know, here we go. All right, here's the oil change question, folks. If the if he's been following manufacturer recommended specifications, if he's been changing the oil as per the manufacturer and doing all the other maintenance, how can they possibly convince him that at a hundred thousand miles, which is a half life on these cars today, he now has to have major engine repair and it's on him? Isn't this really kind of their fault? Isn't this the design, yeah, is, you would think? Isn't this a design flaw? Isn't this because somebody got paid way too much money with you know, no common sense between their ears to put an engine together that at 100,000 miles needs $3,000 worth of repairs? Yes, and this also follows several years of this engine, believe it or not. Right. Oh, yeah. The, this, this, the gaskets failing on the internal plates under the chains on Nissans, we're talking about a system and a setup that spans 20 years. It's not like it's there for, you know, one or two years, and they said, okay, we screwed up, we're going to do it. No, no. They were stupid for, like, a long time, all right? They did this for a 20-year span or longer. So, you know, I would go back and hit them with that argument. If I followed all your recommendations and I did all your maintenance, why why do I have to spend $3,000? I mean, don't I get something for being a loyal, valued customer? Right. You want to hear the funny part? I'd love to. They told him if he... If he doesn't want to do the $3,000 deal, then go find a motor out of a junkyard, they told him, and have that put in. Right. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, look at the common sense. You know what? And I say this in all sincerity, Don. I just had this conversation with someone yesterday about this in the shop. To me, customers in auto repair, you're divided into two categories. You're one or the other. You either want to be a name or you want to be a number. If you want to be a number, yeah. it's it's like you're standing at the deli counter and you're now serving number seven. If you want to be a name, it's, hi, Don, welcome to RA Automotive. How can I help you today? Yeah, you know what, Don, the manufacturer says this, but I think in your application, here's how we should really be working on your car, and here's the things we can do to cut down on the odds. And clearly, when that 524 happened two years ago or whenever this started, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure he's been taking it into the dealership in the past two years, right? Yes, absolutely. So, so for two years, they've been dogging this about let's fix an oil leak, a major. This is like your heart's pumping blood out the left side of your chest. Don't worry about it. I got my thumb in the hole. I can fix this. I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it. It shows how, how it shows how unqualified some people are to be in this business, and they shouldn't be doing it. They should sell their tools and become right. a plumber. So That's but, why I call you, Ron. Give them the argument. <laughs> let's, let's see what they say. All right, sir? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. You take good care, Don. Thank you. Be safe. I'm running Annie in the car, Doctor, and I'll be back right after this. Welcome 
Welcome back. We're on Indian the Car Doctor. Let's roll over and talk to Richard in Waddington, New York, I believe that is. Some questions about gasoline and ethanol and things like that there. Richard, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Thanks for, thanks for taking my call, Ron. You're very welcome, sir. Uh, I've got 14 cars, and uh, ever since ethanol was introduced, uh, and what year was that? Do you know? Uh, well, let's see. Ethanol came in as part of the uh, Clean Air Package, the Clean Air Act, in 19, I think it was 2000. Uh, no, 1996, the Clean Air Act. Uh, it's been around about 20 years now, is, uh-huh. is what I well, remember. The problems I'm having are uh, ethanol. Cars are stored, okay, for a year and have ethanol gas in the carburetor. It will turn to uh, some kind of brown compound, like a brown crud that yep. coats the inside of the carburetor, plugs up the idle jets. Yep. And uh, so I, I found when you're going to store something for any amount of time, run that carburetor dry. Yep. Drain it bone dry. 1990, oh. the Clean Air Act of 1990. I'm sorry. I had a, I had a brain mist there. Yeah, so let's see. Ethanol, 92,000. Ethanol has been around 30 years. Or coming up on it, right? Uh, I yeah. wonder if they've increased the percentage. Of yeah. Oh, yeah, they've changed it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, E10, E15, E85. Um. Uh, but, yeah, you're right, if you're going to store anything. Listen, I've taken to when I store my snowblower, because you know what? Worse than the cars, the one that really gets beat up are the little engines because oh, yeah. of the yeah, size yeah. of the jets and all. And I will run all my snowblowers down to zero where there's just nothing left in the tank. The and tank too, yeah. and I, I have very few problems as a result. Uh-huh. Well, I have a dirt bike, and uh, that carburetor, uh, I sat for two years, and that carburetor was full of that brown crud. And I put it right into a water bath for 24 hours. And that plain water dissolved that stuff beautifully. <laughs> and you, you know who I hear also has problems, Richard? I don't have firsthand experience. I don't see a lot of boats at, at, at RA Automotive because, you know, we're kind of landlocked. But um, I hear the marine, uh, the marine mechanics are always complaining because of what ethanol does to the boats. And proper storage over the winter becomes a real issue that it yeah. has to be done. Um, so, Some yeah. of the new outboards are... are Coming out with fuel injection now, so that gets that bypass is a problem. You yep, know? but ethanol ethanol is a problem, and you know, I still remember the instructor. It's got to be nine, ten years ago now, going to class and talking about dirt and contaminant and fuel systems. And I said, "Where are we getting this from?" And he says, "We're putting it in the tank." It, back then, it was three dollars and fifty cents a gallon because nobody was running for political office. But uh, yeah, right. you know, um, you know, it's an issue. It's 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 clearly an issue. And All right. Here's here's another main problem with it. If you, and this is aside from carburetors, any car that you store for two years and forget about, which I did, the intake valves will jam up. They'll open and they'll stay open. They sure. will not close. So you, when you turn the starter, all you hear is a whirring noise. You know, yeah. and hopefully it's not anything like a motor anymore. Hopefully it's not an interference motor. Let me let me ask you a question, Richard, before I let you go. What are some of the cars in your 14-car fleet, and are you adopting? I uh, No, no. Cars have a way of coming here and never leaving. I, I don't understand it. You know? mm. yeah. it's, it's an issue. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, I, I've got two 81 Celicas, which is the best year for Celica. I've got a 77 Fastback Celica and an 80 Convertible Celica put out by Griffith, one of those rare convertibles. Right. Uh 
And then I've got a 71 Ford Econoline van. And then uh, I added a few Civics. I got five of those. Uh, I added them about 10 years ago. Those 94 and 95s. Because those are the best year for Civic. They'll get up to 50 miles a gallon. And and what are you doing with these? You're just they're just they're just sitting and not going anywhere. They just sit there and look at me, and I look at them, and you know they're like lawn decorations. What mm. else can they be? You know, I got 14 cars and one driver, and, but I transfer plates so I get each one of them on the road uh, every year, and then I have 100 acres so I can drive them around the field. I don't have to register them. Right. Right. And uh, and they're all pretty happy, you know. They're, they're all running. I this late this summer I I got them all running. And you're doing your thing and listen, God bless you, man. You know what? Well, thanks, Ryan. You 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 you're doing the deal, but um 14 cars. So, very cool. Richard, listen, you have yourself a good holiday season and I want to thank you for being part of the Car Doctor family and um stay well up there in upstate New York, okay? Thanks, thanks very much, Ron. Take care now. You're very welcome. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor, and I'll be back right after this. Morning, the car doctor, as we're uh, kind of winding things down this hour, but we got another hour coming up right after this one, so stay tuned. Let's go over to Glenn in Wisconsin with a 2015 Escape. Glenn, I got about two minutes. What's going on? Well, I've got a 2015 Ford Escape with about, I think it's got 27,000 miles on it now. It's got a foot feed that, it, if I'd relate it to an old car, I'd say it's a car with sloppy linkage. It, uh, when you step on the gas, and it doesn't do it all the time, but if you slow down for a sharp corner, in, like in town, it's it's like there's a hesitation between the stepping on the foot feed and the, and the, uh, something getting to the getting to the carburetor or whatever. Is it a is it is it a shutter or is it a delay? No, it's more of a delay. So it's like you you step on the pedal and it just sits there for. Well, it's a millisecond. Okay. You know it isn't real bad, but it's irritating. Right. Because it doesn't do it all the time, and the dealership guys drove it around the block, you know. And I said, well, you ain't gonna feel probably nothing driving around the block. When they they didn't, they just said, well, maybe it's just something that's. Uh, Related to idiosyncrasy or something like that. Well, you know, and the and the, the problem is, I, I mean, listen. Part of my conversation with you is always going to be anytime we start talking about a newer vehicle with an intermittent fault, you know, and hopefully the dealership has done this is to make sure that it's updated to the latest software calibration. You know, make Somebody sure. Suggested that to me, not at the dealership. Right. And I don't know if I told them that or if it was later on, but. Well, you you would hope you would think that they would, you know, they would they would address that. I mean, the reason I asked you is it a delay or a shutter is because, for example, there's a bulletin out there, fifteen dash oh one eighty seven, that talks about fifteen sixteen escapes with an engagement shutter, and and part of the fix is to reprogram the PCM. So software is critical today. We're driving giant computers. I say it all the time. 
The other thing is, before I let you go real quick, can you get another 15 from the dealership and drive it? Does it behave with the same characteristic? And that, you know, if the dealership would be willing to let you do that, that would be the, um, well, that might be the difference between getting a customer aggravated or realizing, yeah, it is an idiosyncrasy of the vehicle, and it's, it's what the vehicle does. Not that that makes it any better, but try that and let me know what happens. I'm kind of curious. I'm running any of the car, doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. 